And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is Matt Watson, your host today. I am joined by Jason Sprinkle today from Key Data Dashboard. We're going to talk about being an entrepreneur in the vacation rental space. He's done a lot of amazing things, and we're excited to uh, learn a few things from him today. Before we get started, I do want to remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, but Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Jason, uh, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Matt. Excited to be here. I'm excited to be graced by your presence. Sounds like you've done a lot of amazing things and uh, hoping that our listeners today will be able to learn a few things from you. Um, We don't have like all day, but um, would love to, you know, start with some of your your backstory. Uh, Maybe how you became an entrepreneur the first time. You've been a serial entrepreneur. So maybe we should start with how did you become an entrepreneur the first time? Yeah, really by by chance, I guess, to some extent. I came out of school and practiced law with a big defense firm out of the Carolinas, was representing a combination of uh, software companies and um, pharmaceutical companies. So kind of small lawyer in a big firm uh, background uh, and had an opportunity through uh, a family member who was doing some smaller scale development to advise her on the legal side of those deals. And... um, just kind of got the itch as I watched her business grow and become very profitable in what was a, a reasonably unsophisticated manner, meaning like a three quarter of a single page for a pro forma and make a million or two bucks back in kind of real estate development 101 land. Um, and so just kind of got attracted to the ability of, of some verticals to produce a, a ton of money fast, you know, the real estate being the first one. So I had an opportunity uh, when a deal came up to go take the lead on it. Uh, didn't have any idea what I was doing. So immediately went and looked for somebody who could teach me. And the only people I knew at the time were lawyers. And so I found a lawyer who had done a lot. Of- That's expensive by the hour, I think. I imagine. That's right. But it's <laughs> more expensive to do a real estate venture and get it wrong. Uh so I hired a, a, a really bright lawyer who had a lot of background in development and said, can I just pay you to sit down with me for two days and kind of talk me through the process? Tell me what you know. You know, as a young lawyer, you learn how to depose people. And uh, he was kind enough to say, like, look, I'm, I'm happy to help answer questions and point you in the right direction. You don't have to hire me. And he was a, a great mentor out of the gate. Um, and like everything in life, when you're starting something new and have a a ton of hubris and uh, not a lot of skills yet. Luck's a big component of it. And so we hit the market on our first of three big development projects down in Northwest Florida, right at the time where uh, condos just took off in the early 2000s, where you know, everybody started flipping things right before the big crash, if you, if you will, when things got frenzied. Um, 
and learned a lot of the skills that, you know, carried me through my other entrepreneurial uh, ventures from those first projects, how to raise money, how to work with banks. So was it, was this, this first development you did, was this uh, just like a big condo building or like timeshare kind of, kind of thing or like what, what kind of development yeah, was it? Condo project uh, in Blue Mountain on 30A, uh, just outside of Destin in Northwest Florida. It's 130 high-end units um, and um, it was right on the Gulf and um, needed about $6 million off of our simple pro forma to, to, to put up our 20% um, and uh, needed the rest from the bank. And so it kind of began there with this idea of, you know, a, a really um, overly simplistic and, and uh, just not fully aware of the risks or I probably wouldn't have jumped into it, right? Uh, young and naive worked in my favor with the timing of the market. Um, and so we so you had to raise, so you had to raise $6 million? We did, yes, sir. So we're so what what was that like? How did you how did you go about raising that six million dollars? You're like, hey, I'm I'm gonna go buy this building for what a hundred twenty million dollar project, but I need to find six million dollars from somebody that believes in me to to build this thing. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 embarrassingly, yes, very in a very scrappy way. So uh, uh, a family member who was in the you know the space uh, said, look, go around and introduce yourself to all the nice doctors and dentists and business people in town that have had success. Um, you know, they're the, the medical professionals, the quickest to come off of the pocketbook and believe in something, go talk to them and, you know, walk in the door and tell them what your plans are. And so, um, again, a lot of, uh, a lot of being young and having a lot of hubris, but it's exactly what we did. We walked into, you know, dermatologist stores and banker stores and real estate broker stores and said, Hey, you know, the property around the corner, here's what we plan to do with it. Um, you know, the pro forma says that we're going to do great. We'd like you to be a part of it and um, laid it out for them and told them to believe in us. And, you know, slowly one by one put together a, a you know, a long cap table of about 20 plus investors. So do you guys still own that property today or you sold it a while we back? Don't. We built it and, uh, and flipped it in a little over two year period. Okay. So how did it come out? It came out great. We gave, you know, uh, we took their six and we gave them 36 back. So we wow. Got Holy moly. Six X on it. Which, Dang. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a remarkable project. Um, and really the beginning of everything for me, right. Um, came in on the benefit of the introduction from the, from the family member. And then the, you know, the, the benefit of the mentor in the space, uh, on the real estate side and then really just learning our way, uh, you know, through the hur hurdles and obstacles that came up, the law background provided a, an excellent, uh, you know, way to, to get around obstacles as they came up. And it provided me just enough, uh, unwarranted confidence probably to not be overly concerned about the risks that were headed our way. And so it was kind of the first, uh, learning venture and just how to find the finish lines. The best way I like to think of the businesses typically, right? So after that point, did you hang up the legal career and just start focusing on going down this other path? Yeah, cheated and mitigated our risk, took a leave of absence from the law firm to go and try to raise the money for two months, uh, was able to put the money together. But the plan was always when we don't put the money together, go back to the full time job. And it worked out. We were able to get the money. Um, we lost one of our largest investors the night before closing and had to get Oops. real scrappy with 
uh, some real estate agents in town, but we went and struck a deal and, you know, first of many hurdles we ran into, but um, got through it. And, you know, the market was beautiful to us. The timing was beautiful to us. And so, so did, did you spend a couple of years walking around a construction site then too? <laughs> yeah, I spent two years sitting up on a beach with a hard hat on selling <laughs> and learning, you know, uh, hire great people when you don't know what you're doing was the first lesson, right? Go get a great big uh, contractor to build it. So we had uh, Brassfield and Gory was a big contractor to Birmingham and had a stellar reputation. They were not the cheapest, but we said, look, we've been very fortunate with the timing and with the fundraising and with the opportunity. Like it's not the time to save pennies. It's the time to, to cut risks at this point. So let's get a great partner who can get us over the hurdle. So that was the choice that they paid off. And, uh, we did two more projects after that. Uh, we knew time wasn't our, uh, you know, going to be in our favor forever. And so we rushed to a second project. Uh, for the most part, the same group of uh, investors followed us over, um, built really the same thing uh, on a smaller scale in Destin, about 40 miles away, um, and turned that in two years. Same, you know, very profitable Um and then started a third, and the third was really our first big, big challenge kind of in our entrepreneurial run, which was, you know, the, the market turn. We ran into to legal problems with title that were distracting, so we had to you know, completely shift our design a year into it, but we were built into it. Um, and so we found ourselves, you know, heavy into a project at a time where the market was falling apart. And we, uh, you know, we ended up negotiating our way back to break even with all the people. You know, fortunately, we had sold all the units, but none of them had closed. And so everybody, as, as you'll recall, people were back in real estate at the time. Everybody was defaulting on their letters of credit and their deposits and walking away with it because the, the value of the real estate had fallen so much. Sounds like uh, all of China right now, from what I understand. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, we did what, what you do when you get in a bond. We, we, we tried to negotiate uh, our way into a good result for our investors. And, uh, you know, there's some litigation that was involved to get buyers over the hurdle on the deals that they committed to. And there was some, you know, settling for lower prices to get people to close, but worked our way through it. It took quite a while, but we got the investor back all their money. And it was our first lesson. And like, it doesn't always go well for you. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can do everything right. And if the market just completely falls out of you, on you and you're in a, you know, a narrow project, like a real estate uh, condo market and that market does, you know, you gotta, you gotta make hay. So, in, so, when, so when you're building, building a condo building like that, are you able to start selling some of the condos before you have built all of them? And so you have to, you're kind of counting on that to bankroll completing the rest of the project as a yeah, developer. Yeah. The financing behind those development projects has changed dramatically and gotten more constrained over the you know the many years since we did it. Um, but at the time, uh, you could do just that. You could essentially go get uh, you know, pre-construction uh, contracts sold. You had any broke around. You get a buyer to commit to buying it. Right? You're counting on the increase in price while during the construction period. Uh, nowadays, you, they at least have to put down a deposit, but you can use that deposit for security with your loan with the bank, right? Yeah. Um, use their cash. At the time, you could use letters of credit. So they literally would just sign a piece of paper saying, my bank's good for this. Uh, what we learned back then is letters of credit aren't that great. Cash is yeah. a whole lot better. So people typically don't take those in construction deals now. 
Um, but yeah, you can still go in and pre-sell a condo uh, if the market's uh, you know good enough, and use the deposits from the buyers to then go leverage you know your portion of the of the deposit from the bank that they then lend you the other eighty percent or seventy percent or whatever the case may be. So I would love to now hear how you went from you know a real estate developer to then eventually starting a tech company yeah. in the vacation rental space. So tell us, tell us about that. I'm, I'm really intrigued how you go from property developer to somebody who understands the space, understands the industry to see, look, there's a problem I need to solve with technology, which is common. That's what a lot of us do, right? We see the problem because we understand the industry. So tell us, tell us how you went down that. Yeah. Industry. So it really led into kind of a necessity as a mother of invention service play first before the tech play. Uh, but it began this important lesson of, um, you know, the best businesses for me have been built on trying to solve a problem that I personally had. Yeah, absolutely. Yourself, scratch your own itch, whatever euphemism. Yep. Not trying to think of an idea to fix something for somebody else. Like, you know, to say it like my kids would say, it's something that sucks about your current job, environment, tool, whatever. To fix that for yourself in a really authentic way, and chances are you're fixing it for other people as well. And so uh, we ended up with several of our own condos uh, when the market crashed that we still had, um, kind of buying our own inventory, so to speak. And um, we put them uh, for rent with a variety of different rental vacation rental companies. And we went and started running a charity for a little while, um, but handed those properties over to professional managers to manage. And what we learned back then is the, the management companies um, were very unsophisticated. They, they had virtually no tech um, and they were very non-customer friendly, right? They really, service just wasn't part of the vernacular in the industry at the time, in our opinion. We had three or four of them that we were using for our different properties and they were setting all the rules, right? Like if something breaks in your unit, it goes offline. If you don't do this within a certain number of days, you know, we're not going to rent your property. And we thought, man, what a bad experience for how much they're charging, right? And so my brother was in the restaurant business at the time, and he was, you know, making breakfast in the morning and pouring drinks at night and cleaning up after that, you know, the, the hard hustle side of, of restaurant businesses, right? Um, and he said, look, I understand service and people and, um, you know, why don't you let me come up and manage your units for myself? I can do it for cheaper and I can provide way better service to you. And I said, come on. Um, and the neighbors started to say, man, we love your brother. He's so friendly. You think he'd rent our unit? And before you knew it, we had you know, 10 or 15 units in the building that, that my brother was managing in addition to ours. And we decided to, um, you know, we decided to lean into that. We said, why don't we, why don't we take a shot at growing a business out of this? So, you know, the, the, the piece I've kept with me kind of on the, you know, entrepreneurial side of just how do you get going was, you know, we, we kind of took one step at a time and it's really been uh, the way that I've started all my businesses and ideas and not started a lot of my businesses and ideas, which is when you got something that feels like a good idea, feels like an opportunity, like take that first step forward and test it out. Don't spend your entire savings and quit your job and leap all the way in, like have a backstop or, you know, test it out with the people around you, test it out with a few, you know, a few folks. And so we did, we, we kind of leaned into it a little bit. We we grew it, but we didn't throw a ton of money behind it. And once we felt like, hey, that we're not hearing any bad ideas, like nobody's telling us we're crazy. It seems like this is a 
you know, viable business, then we started to lean in more and more and more. Um, and we did it our own way. We said, you know, we got into this business because we didn't like the way other people were providing services. So when it came time to start and look at simple things like customer contracts and marketing and all that, we said, rather than copying the people around us that we don't like, why don't we not pay attention to what the other players in the space are doing? And why don't we just sit down and think about how it should be done? Like, yeah, you know, how would we want to be treated? Just back to basics. So- so this was a service where if I owned some Airbnb properties or whatever, and I wanted, I wanted to use Airbnb, but like I don't want the hassle of managing all of it and figuring out how to market them and all that. You were the property manager, just like if it was a rental home, except for a rental home, this is the vacation version of it, right? Of like, how do I manage this property? Clean it, deal with all the customers, deal with all the crap. Like I just want to own the house and rent it on Airbnb, but I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to go golf every day or whatever I want to go do. You yeah. guys deal with all the bullshit, right? That's exactly right. You're a radiologist. You got a house down at the beach. You want to come use it every now and then with your wife, but you do not want to be the person answering the Airbnb phone calls and inquiries and cleaning the house and taking care of the maintenance. You want to hire. Beautiful. Airbnb. I'm in. So sign me up. Companies were charging people forty percent of their revenue to do that at the time we started, and we said, "Golly, we could charge twenty percent and still make a great living and still provide over-the-top service." Um, and so we came in at, as the cheapest to get some critical mass, but as it evolved and it evolved over 15 years, um, you know, we, we switched midway to being the most expensive. Like when we realized that we were providing a better value than the other players, a demonstrably better value, we said, you know, we should just increase our prices. People appreciate the best as a service option. So why don't we price like we're the best and didn't have any churn at all. You know, what was this company called? It's a company called 360 Blue, which was a property management company in, in Northwest Florida, mostly Destin and a, a place called 30A. So um, all your customers were primarily in the Florida area then? All the yeah, properties. they were all up in the Panhandle, about a 30 to 40 mile okay. uh, spread east to west. Because um, that would have been a hard business to scale like all across the country, right? Because it was very service oriented? Very hard to scale. We started that process, um, but there was just so much opportunity here. Florida is a huge market for this. So, Florida is yeah. a massive market. The particular market we're in was luxury. You know, I've, I've always believed whether it's service or product or whatever, um, you have to have like an EST after whatever you're doing. So you have to be the cheapest or the biggest or the fastest or the best. You know, you have to have some something that just differentiates you. And the margins, you know, are, are clearly better on high-end luxury products. And so. We went after high-end luxury products with luxury service. It seems like um, no matter what vertical you're looking at and whether it's a product or service, like there's always room for somebody at the top to deliver a little bit something better for a higher rate. So you, so you must have had like dozens of like house cleaners and stuff that work for you and, and people to handle all that? I would guess. Yeah, we ended up uh, 150 employees uh, without counting the housekeepers, which was a gigantic outsourced crew. Okay. Um, in about 750 properties um, okay. by the time we sold it. Um, properties that you owned or those are just other people's properties? Properties that you managed for others. For others, okay. Um, a little and you bit did... of about $100 million worth of revenue that the owners made. Okay. Um, and then we were taking roughly a 25% cut of that, so roughly $25 million in, in serviceable revenue. That's awesome. Yeah. And so did you say you sold that to VRBO? No, we sold that to a national company who is trying to do what you just mentioned, which is scale. Okay. That roll same it all up. Yeah, roll it up. Um, and, you know, 
segueing into the software side and kind of the scratch your own itch moniker, we got, um, I don't know, four or five years into that uh, 15 year journey. And uh, we, we had a need for a mobile app. It was cool. It was sexy. People wanted their vacation rental companies to have mobile apps. Guests wanted to know how to get to your property and, you know, how to use the VCR and how to ask for more towels and where to take the trash out, all that stuff, right? You needed an easier way to communicate with guests. It was right when mobile apps were brand new and you were cool if you had one as a business. Um, and they didn't really exist in the hospitality space. And so we had the idea to build a mobile app for our own business and guests, but to do so in a way that we could also provide, if it worked out, that same functionality for all the other companies like us. So we said, you know, we can't justify the cost of building a really great mobile app, we figured, for ourselves. But if we built a really great mobile app for ourselves and sold it to everybody else like us, then we could build it the way we wanted to build it. And so that was the beginning of the business idea to get into the software side of vacation rentals and to build a tool for ourselves that we could then scale kind of into a SaaS company. And what was that called? It was a company called Glad to Have You. Okay. And that was the one that we sold to VRBO that became VRBO's mobile app now for their you know, their global properties. If you check into VRBO now, you use the Glad to Have You app to know how to get to your property. Um, and we combined um, our, our piece of it with subject matter expertise, right? We knew what vacation rental companies needed. We knew what our problem was that we were trying to solve. We mm-hmm. really understand what our guests needed. And so we went out and we looked for technologists who could build us the app and uh, back to the love category. The second company we called turned out to be these incredible technologists out of Atlanta who understood what we were doing. They really valued the idea that you could be a, a subject matter expertise and you could combine that with the technology team and build really cool stuff. Yep. And so we said, look, why don't we partner and split it up? We'll put up the money. Um, you guys put up the, the technology effort and we'll build something and take a crack at selling it together. Yeah. Split it 50-50. And it began a beautiful partnership that has uh, resulted in the same team we have today. So I, I, I kind of peeled off of the 360 Blue business midway and started to work on the Glad to Have You project. I, I was really enthralled with this idea of mailbox money. You know, I'd seen other businesses where they were <laughs> something over and over and over again. Yeah. And that sounds amazing. You just get up and there's a check in your mail every Software month. Software is a lot easier than the, like, uh, the maid quit today and now somebody's got to go clean this house before the guests show up and uh nobody's to do it so i guess the ceo's got to do it today or something like that that's a whole different a whole different yeah, problem I mean, you're, you're dead on you know the lure of the ability to make exponential amounts of money in real estate obviously uh was really clear to us with the luck we had on those first couple of real estate yeah projects. And juxtaposing that against the grind of building a service-based business. Oh, yeah. Very operational heavy. It's operational brain damage. It just felt slow and painful. And yet we were building something really amazing that in truth, I wasn't giving enough credit to, right? Like it it turned out to be an incredible business and incredible life course. Um, But I wanted something sexier that could scale. It's HR intensive. Yeah. And so... um, so we, we were blessed with a, a young lady who came to work for us as a reservationist. And uh, when I turned around to work on the software project and came back for a minute, she had effectively stepped into cleaning up all the departments and it made herself CEO, really, for lack of a better uh, explanation, just 
her talent started to shine through. It was clear she was running the company at least as well as my brother and I could run it. And so we got out of our way and we let her run it, uh, which turned out to be one of the great things we did. Um, my brother and I were very much people pleaser leaders. We would tell people what they need, you know, they, they wanted to hear and you wanted to raise, we'd give you one. We weren't really good at being, you know, squeezing the most out of employees. And she had a better knack for uh, still being kind of a cherished CEO, but being able to talk straight to people and tell them what they need. Well, and that, and you, you hit on something that is really important. And I've seen that in, um, in other places where you have a great CEO or great leadership that they care a lot about their employees. And sometimes they care too much, right? They, they care so much that it's hard for them to go back to the employees and tell them what to do even. Like they care, they, they listen so much about what the employees want to do or think they need to do and all these things that they struggle to build a system and follow a system, right? Where at some point in time, you're like, hey, we've got a lot of people that do this thing. This is the way we do it. Go do it. <laughs> like, I don't, we don't need more ideas. We need you to just execute, right? And Where, one of the best leadership lessons I learned from somebody else that I still struggle with, which is, you know, people that are growing that you're mentoring or that are part of your business, like they, they want you to be honest with them. They want they want to get better. You know, they, they, they need you to tell yeah. them what they're doing wrong so that they can grow or that they can find the company that's a better fit for them. And so it's an important lesson to kind of be able to, to tell people what they need to hear rather than what they want. To hear. Yeah. Um, well, so I want to, I want to talk more about what you're doing today. Yeah. Um, before we do that, I do want to remind everybody that if you're, if finding expert software developers, um, is difficult for you. It doesn't have to be. You mentioned, Jason, uh, you found a great team that helped you build your business. Um, FullScale can help you do the same thing, especially if you visit FullScale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the FullScale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers are available to join your team right away. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. We have 300, almost 300 software developers that work for us. So we, we help a lot of people do a lot of things. So... Jason, tell me more about how, I love that you're like, hey, we were doing property management for people. We understood what the guests needed. We understood all of this. We built a SaaS application that helped solve all of these problems, made it easier for the guests. I love it. Um, you, and those are the best kinds of businesses like you, like you described. Um, so at some point along this journey, you also started Key Data Dashboard. And that's, you know, your primary focus today. So tell us more about key data. You know, how, how did you start that? How, how did, you know, what were you doing that led you to that idea? Yeah, I was back. We had sold, uh, glad to have you. So I was back working with the CEO at uh, 360 Blue. I realized I wasn't adding a lot of value. Uh, she realized that, you know, we were coming to the same conclusions and I was sitting in the meetings really getting in her way. Uh, and so we were looking for, for something else. I, um, I, uh, I was very aware of the potential that real estate and software had in terms of the ability to buy, you know, to build value very, very quickly, right? Still blown away by, by the ability of software to build value quickly. SaaS companies, anything that kind of has that repeatable monthly revenue, right? Whole world switching to you, you got to pay for everything $10 a month. And it sounds good, it sounds but it's good. a lot harder to do than it sounds. It I think you're going to tell us why. <laughs> Right, and I had tried. Uh, I had tried two small ventures that were not under the heading of scratch your own itch and do what you're great at. One is I tried to help uh, my nanny who uh, was in the honey business. I said, "Oh, I know how to scale businesses. Let me help you." And so I jumped in and tried to help her grow her honey business. Thought business is business. All you need is good marketing, 
little bit of uh, you know legal and, and business sense and financial sense, and you could pull it. So we scaled that business. What I learned from that one very quickly, uh, which was a, a failure from my end, was it turns out things like margins are important. Like you need to make sure that before you scale your business, that it's going to be profitable once it's scaled. And I didn't yeah. understand retail well enough, and I didn't understand margins well enough. And if I would have had the benefit of knowing what I know now, or if I would have had a mentor kind of in the VC or private equity space that has that bird's eye view of businesses, I think they would have immediately seen like, hey, great idea. You very well may scale it, uh, but your margins are in terrible shape, right? Things you, you should- can't, You can't lose a dollar per unit and make it up in scale. <laughs> exactly right. And, you still uh, just lose a dollar per unit. <laughs> Same lesson, I, I uh, could not find a great appliance company to service 360 Blue. So I found the best appliance company in town that was doing our business. And I said, you should scale your business. We need you. He said, I don't know anything about business. I said, I do. Too much hubris, not enough knowledge on the service side. I said, look, you just need a ton of trucks. You need to get all the business. And I didn't take time to really understand the financial side, you know, what, what you would think of as kind of the unit economics of the appliances. Yeah. So we scaled it, we got all the work and it turns out like it's very hard to make money doing that. No matter what size you are, the margins are very, very thin and there's not really a scale that grows you out of that in reasonable line. Again, should have known. So, um, so went back to the opportunity that had done me well, which was software. We had a, um, a lady in the industry who came into 360 one day and she said, you know, would you like to buy our software? I knew who she was. I said, what's your software? And she said, we aggregate data from all the other vacation rental companies around and we provide it back to you to help you run your business better. We give you, you know, data dashboards. We give you benchmarking, you know, business analytics for vacation rental companies. And I said, that's amazing. We'll take it, you know, $200 a month. And I said, is really a, an incredible idea. Where are you at? And she said, I'm at the very beginning. I said, you know, you got to go get a ton of customers if you're going to do benchmarking, right? Everybody's got to participate. You got to go integrate with all these software platforms. Like who's your tech team? What's your financing? I've been down this path before. And she didn't have it set up. And so I said, I would love to, to, to you know, come into this business and explore it with you, right? little more cautious now. I'd had, had some things that didn't go right, but I knew what we had done in the software side. I knew I'd been fortunate and had an incredible team that worked really well together and built great software. And I knew that if we could go back and build software with that same team for the same set of customers doing the same things we did before, that our risks would be much lower. It'd be like doing the second condo project over the first, right? Mm-hmm. And so I called the band and I said, so to speak, y'all want to put the group back together and, and go chase this opportunity. And I socialized it around all the people on the team that I trusted. And, you know, we thought hard about them all quitting their jobs and coming out and going after this. And I spent a lot more time kind of in due diligence than I had in the past um, and went into it with my eyes wide open. And we got a month or two into it, uh, partnering with the lady whose idea it was. And we said, we really think this is a massive opportunity. We want to buy you out. Um, and so we negotiated a deal to buy her out pretty quickly in conjunction with doing a series A round, uh, back to friends and family, went back to the people who had, uh, uh, been kind enough to trust us on our real estate projects that we had made good returns for and said, Hey, we're, we're trying something else. Uh, and we'd appreciate you, your faith in us again. And so we did a, a series A friends and family round that was, um, what we thought was enough to, to do kind of what we did with the last company. 
And we thought, oh, well, this is easy, right? You'll, we'll pop up a SaaS company and we'll sell it in two years again to a publicly traded company. We'll all make a good good check again. And, um, you know, you learn each venture. And in this one, we, we learn like building a data company, which is really what we're growing into as opposed to a SaaS company, is a much, it's a much longer venture, right? It, if you're going to go get, you know, a world of vacation rental partners to join you in this venture and contribute their data, like it's going to take a minute. Uh, and so it's turned out to be a much bigger venture than we expected. Uh, no easy off ramps, but it's also turned into a much bigger TAM or a much bigger overall opportunity, right? Um, and so we're four years in now. We got partners worldwide. We're up to 50 employees. Uh, we're kind of at that 5 million ARR mark. If you're in the SaaS world, it's kind of your first meaningful, yeah. you know, out of the risk world, um, or out of the risk mark. Um, and, we're and it still fun. took four years to get there. Took four years to get there, yeah. yeah. But still, I mean, if you, you throw some multiples on it, even in this declining you know, market that we've got, it's still unbelievable to me how fast you can build value uh, in a company in the software side or the real estate side compared to the services side. You know, I think about my dad and granddad and people who you, know, you used to go work for the man in one city for 30 years. And what a hundred million dollar company looked like, right? It would take a hundred years to build and it'd take factories and thousands of employees. And um, it's certainly not easy money, right? Like building building businesses in the software space or service space or real estate space, I mean, it still comes down to, you know, surrounding yourself with an incredible team of really bright people who get up and are deeply passionate about what you're building and um, work really hard and grind it out every day. And so, um but if you're going to do all that anyway, it's a great vertical to be in. So you're you're taking all of this data from like Airbnb and VRBO and all this kind of stuff, right? And and providing analytics that you can sell probably back to them or back to investors or banks or whoever, which makes a ton of sense. So are there other competition that are in this? So when you when you went into this, did you did you see a lot of competition? Is a lot of competition competition kind of came into the space over the last four years? Yeah, great question. So there's there was two legacy players in the space who were providing data around vacation rentals, right? Um, they were providing it by scraping data off of what we call the OTAs, which is Airbnb, VRBO, and Booking.com, right? So they'd go get the data off of that website, scrape it all each night, and then uh, sell it back to people. Um, and what we saw with their businesses was that there was a massive demand for the product and the data that they were putting out. But that there was a general, um, uh, you know, level of dissatisfaction with the quality of the data because you just can't get a high level of quality from scraping off of the other sites. You just you don't have the real data. You're doing a whole lot of guesswork, and so I mean, they, don't, they don't know if the if their property was rented or if the owner is staying there and didn't want to rent it or it's under maintenance or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah that's precisely the the problem. They can see the number of units, and you know. Jackson, Mississippi, but they can't tell what rented the night before. Um, and so we said, look, people are people are really relying upon this data. They're relying on it to make investment decisions for themselves and their businesses. And if you really wanted to do it right, you know, kind of the luxury end of it, you would have to go to all the different property management companies like 360 Blue all around the globe. And you'd have to get the data out of their reservation system, right? It's, it's so distributed. They're the 360 Blues, the only one who has 360 Blues data. So they're the only ones, other than the owner of the home that they manage, 
who knows what that house rented and knows whether it rented or whether it was discounted or whether the owner stayed there. But we said, look, these are the people that we had relationships with from our last venture. We sold them software already. They trusted us. We did them right. We built good tools for them. What if we could go back to all of them worldwide and effectively create this co-op where they gave us their data in return, we aggregated it all together and then we gave them all back, you know, the aggregated version. So if there were 25 property managers in Destin, instead of them getting up every morning and looking at each other's websites and kind of guessing what was happening in the marketing and calling each other and saying, hey, Bob, are you busy next week? We're looking at our rates. What if we just all kind of dumped it into a bucket? We made it look pretty and we gave it back to you guys. And that was the, that was the, you know, the ethos of the business is just, we believe in data-driven businesses and there was a need for better data. So we saw a gap in what was being provided to the market from the two competitors. And we said, if we could, you know, if we get to do this, we really got to do it right, but it's going to take a minute. We got to go build integrations with 60 reservation systems. So you couldn't get that data directly from Airbnb or VRBO or something like that? No, no, they just don't give it out. So, you know, they use a, a really fragmented group of software platforms for their reservations, like I said, 60 plus. So first we said, we're going to spend two or three years just building integrations into those platforms. So, so if I go to Airbnb and rent a property, Airbnb isn't really like the reservation system of record. It's actually some other third party that it, it kind of kicks it out to. Yeah, great question. So if you take the 10 million, give or take at any point in time, vacation rental units around the globe, about half of them are managed by professionals and about half of them are managed by individuals. The professionals use software platforms to make all their reservations. A lot of the individuals just handle the bookings through the OTA platforms or some small software platforms. But um, so we were able to go out and get all the data from the pros and then, Got of course, it. supplement it so we can see full supply by scraping the OTAs as well. Um, so we can see, you know, the full supply, but we can see real good, you know, daily accuracy, um, if not hourly accuracy, around what was happening. What is this? This is really cool. And so I worked in the automotive industry, and we did. There were some similar things in the automotive industry, and I, I'm an investor in one that that does that today, and. Yeah. They similar kind of thing, right? They look at autotrader.com, cars.com, all these things. They see what vehicles are available for sale or the prices going up. Are they going down? How long were they sell? They're no longer for sale. We assume they're sold, like yeah. all the sort of same stuff. And, and those insights for like car dealers is another example is huge, right? Understanding like if I take this car on a, on a trade, how many other ones are available for sale and how fast are they selling? Am I going to get stuck with this thing or is it a hot commodity, right? Like that sort of market insight and any kind of market is super, super valuable, really, yeah, really valuable. It's a perfect example. And you know, the, the, the beauty of the business is it's incredibly hard to build, right? You got to go build all these tunnels to get the data flowing, right? So you yeah. have a massive amount of investment into building uh, the business, but it creates a big moat, which you want from a SaaS company or a data company. Right? Yeah. It's like, it creates this incredible, you know, disincentive for somebody else to go do it all once you've done it. It doesn't mean you're ever protected, uh, but it does build the kind of unique offering uh, that's hard to replicate. And then once you have it, you know, data is like a copy machine. You can you can take a piece of data and you can sell it to a hundred different people without increasing your cost to you know within reason, right? So this so this business that you've built, huge success. Congratulations, getting this this far and. As you said, it's a lot harder than it sounds, right? Yes. And you think, oh, we're going to hire this development team in like 90 days. We'll have this thing knocked out. And you're like, 
shit, two years later, we're still trying to get this thing to market. And I spent three times more money than I thought. That's the reality of it. Um, as somebody, as, as a software developer myself, I just know that's the reality of it. And there was a lot of banging your head on the wall and changing direction. It, it's also kind of like painting. You, you always paint like two or three times because you never can get the right color. Yeah. It's, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, you know what the painting's going to be until you get into it. <laughs> yeah. So what is, what is next? I mean, you, you've, you've really successful getting to this, this point. Do you see this as a business that has a lot more TAM total addressable market, as you mentioned earlier, or, or, you know, or you think you're kind of hitting the sweet spot of where this is going to be and now it's a cash machine and you just collect that check or where, where do you see this going? No, it's, it's definitely the beginning of the journey still. Um, you know, we're still in, in by every measure as a, as a software company, we're still very early in the journey and as a data company, we're even earlier, right? Um, we've got really good critical mass in the U.S. Uh, leisure markets, you know, the places you go ski or go to the beach. Uh, but there's a whole other world out there that we're just breaking into. There's a ton of tools that we haven't built for our space. And there's a, uh, a long, long list of, of enterprise type clients who could benefit from the data that we haven't even broken into. So I think we're still in the, in the real early stages of, of the TAM for sure. Um, and I'm still learning a tremendous amount every day. Like this business taught me everything I needed uh, to know, or not everything I needed to know. It taught me the first things about um, you know, raising money from private equity groups and what that looks like to have a big board and, um, you know, what, what SaaS analytics really look like when you start to measure them. And, um, and then the, the, the learning ahead, which is I'm most excited about is, you know, taking a business and really scaling it international. You know, that's a whole new level of yeah. the lessons that are, uh, yet to come. That's the hard about it hard part about technology, right? Is you're going to have people come to you and like, Hey, we could take this data analytics and use it and sell it back to each individual municipality. So they know how many of these properties there are and what they want to know. And should they change, I don't know, property taxes based off of that, or like all these thousands of things, right? Yes. Then you have somebody else that has like a totally different kind of direction to go with it. And you, it's very difficult to do both. And you go back to your development team and you're like, how long is this going to take? And you're like, Oh shit, it's going to take us six months or 12 months to do this thing. And like, you can't move as quick as you think you can move. And especially once you're at this place, you're, you know, four years into this, it gets harder to move. The, the, the bigger you get and the longer you've done this, the harder it gets to change things. And so you, you have to be very strategic as a product team dis- deciding, you know, what is the direction of the product? Because you can't, you can't go four different directions at a time very easily. And it's very, it, it becomes harder and harder to make those changes. Incredibly well said. We could have benefited from having you come give us that speech on day one. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. that's what I do all day long. I'm I'm in charge of product. I'm a product guy, so I get it. Yeah, I, I want to move fast, and I want to do all the things, but I've learned I can't do them. It's hard. I mean, we're we're at the stage where I think a lot of companies are early on, where you you're switching from kind of personalities to processes. Yeah, and you're switching from wanting to do 15 things at once to kind of having that. Yeah. Too many shiny objects, let's prioritize and, and align. And- yeah. And you, and it's one of those things that nine pregnant women don't make a baby either. You, you can't just like throw a lot of talent at it either because, I mean, much like a lot of things in life, like building a house or remodeling, all this stuff, it's like at the end of the day, like you can only pick the color of the paint so fast and then test it and do it. Like 
you can't get nine different people to pick the different colors of the paint and do it. Like you, one person's making the decisions, right? Like just some things don't scale that way. Like it doesn't even matter if you throw people or money at it. Yeah, you can only move so fast. You got constraints and dependencies, and you start throwing those on a Gantt chart, and you realize what you think you yeah. get in three weeks takes six months to do, for sure. Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up this um, episode today, I do want to um, say thanks again for everybody and uh, remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit FullScale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Um, Jason, sounds like you've had a lot of success um, hiring teams like FullScale in the past, so congrats on on finding a good partner. Um you know, we, uh, we, ha- our company's primarily based in the Philippines and you mentioned like Airbnb and I've, I've rented Airbnb rentals in the Philippines several times actually. And, um, like little condo units there right by our office might, might be as cheap as like $30 a night. Wow. Um, which is crazy sometimes even, even lower. And then they're like, you know, a 400 square foot, like stu- studio room in a, in a, in a high rise building. But I've also rented like some of the most amazing like rental properties, like overlooking the ocean and the mountains and like all of it, infinity pool, like in the Philippines. So, you know, as a um, as a consumer of vacation rental properties, like I definitely think there's a huge you know future in this market, and um, they're definitely giving hotels a run for their money. How do you how do you foresee like how the hotels of the world? evolve to continue to compete in this market i mean you're 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 deep in the in the deep into this how do you how do you see the future of this playing out yeah the space is really exploding you know i've been in it roughly 20 years and call it 17 years of moderate growth steady but moderate growth and then three years of just explosive growth uh, a real exponential turn covid really changed the game right it it grew the piece of the hospitality pie that vacation rentals were occupying in a massive way, right? It introduced a ton of new people to the to the space for, for obvious reasons. Like when everybody had COVID, you didn't want to go stay in a hotel, you know, with a thousand other people. You yeah. wanted to be by yourself. You didn't want to fly internationally on a cruise. So the place that people went were homes that they could rent, that they could drive to and be with the loved ones that they cared about. And so it it kind of bolstered this desire for us all to get together and do what's most important in life, spend time with the people you care about. And it bolstered the introduction of this whole other way to stay, right? If you if you travel with a couple of kids, you rent two hotel rooms in Europe, or you got to get adjoining suites. You like hotels just aren't made for hotels families. suck for somebody with a lot of kids. They're, Let's they're be honest. When I go out of town on a business trip, you know. Yeah. Um, and so a whole world of new folks are getting introduced to it, and the businesses are still principally mom and pop, but the money is coming in, and the sophistication is coming in, and the really uh, amazing way, a lot of M&A activity. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's been incredible to watch the space grow up. I think there's a ton of opportunity in the space still. Um, and the data is just getting to where you can really make incredible use of it with, with, with real estate investing. You know, the REITs are coming into it. The banks are underwriting it. Um, so we're at the beginning of something that feels like a, a really long tail for the industry. It's exciting. I um I have a friend that owns a Airbnb type property here in the Kansas City area that's right next to a hospital and he he primarily rents one room at a time to like doctors that are in their residency or whatever. And so 
it's like its own little own little segment of this, you know. There's some amazing cap rates out there. That's people are seeing it as a you know as a side hustle. Uh, yeah, it's a side hustle cap, for him. Big institutional play on the large scale. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun fun to be a part of. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, definitely, you have a, an amazing background, and you know I think a great example of you know the type of entrepreneurs that you know, learn a certain, you know, industry and then able to, you know, build a service company and then build a tech company and all based on that industry knowledge that you have. So you're a excellent example of, I think, what a lot of, you know, people are aspired to do. Well, I appreciate you helping what you're doing for folks out there. I uh, I can tell that if I would have listened to, to some of the wisdom you've got early on, it would have saved me some, uh, some trips around the block. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. So once again, this was Jason Sprinkle from Key Data Dashboard and a whole bunch of other things. Um, So thanks again, Jason, for, for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. All right, take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.